Good morning. Good to see everyone. Matthew chapter 11 in your Bible. All right, Matthew 11. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses here, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 11 says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless uh, these next few moments together in your word. Uh, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd instruct us. Uh, Lord, that you'd convict us where we need it. Uh, Lord, that you'd be glorified and your people blessed and strengthened. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'd like to just go through this portion of scripture as time allows and uh, speak a little bit. I've, I've called this the violence of the kingdom. The violence of the kingdom. And it starts with uh, Jesus has just called and sent out his, his apostles, his, his disciples, the 12 in the previous chapter. Uh, and it says, when he made an end of commanding his 12, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. And now when John heard from the prison, the works of Christ, this is John the Baptist, the, the great preacher that we know of from scripture. It says that he sends two of his disciples, John's disciples, to go ask Jesus, uh, are you the one or do we need to be looking for somebody else? Now, some people have taken that to mean, well, John's just kind of playing around and telling his disciples to go talk to Jesus. It's just sort of another uh, technique he's using. And I don't think the text supports that, quite frankly, that this or uh, the, the correlation passage in, in Luke. Um, but John sends his disciples. He says, I need you to go ask Jesus a question because John is in prison. Now, he obviously had some degree of liberty there and being able to talk to his disciples. He said, ask him if you're the one that should come or do we look for another? And on the surface, that might seem like a simple enough question, but consider who's the one asking the question. This is the great John the Baptist, right? This man is the, the forerunner of Christ. He's related to Christ. He has a special birth. He's a mighty creature, a creature, well, he's a mighty creature, but a mighty preacher, who has attracted a throng of followers. He's quite popular, not with everyone, but he's got a pretty big following. 
He heard the voice of God audibly at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son. God the Father talked to him about Jesus Christ audibly from heaven. Say, why are you making such a point about this? How many of us have said before, well, if God would just, you know, do some skywriting, if God would just talk to me audibly, then I would know. And and boy, I'd be on fire in my Christian life. Well, I don't know. John seemed to face some doubt. I mean, as the herald of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the entering of his kingdom. And yet here he is in prison and he's starting to wonder. Say, why is that? I don't know specifically, but you can imagine that this man who preached, you know, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the ax that's going to be laid to the root of the trees. He's going to purge the floor. He says he's going to separate the wheat and the chaff. And John's looking forward to that. He's not only doing miracles, he's going to set the captives free. And now he's sitting in a prison for preaching it. It's like, where is all this stuff? Jesus, where's all this stuff that you said is going to happen that we've been looking forward to, that I've been preaching about? When's it going to happen? And he starts to doubt. I think I've doubted it far less, quite frankly. I've doubted it far less. I mean, we've all been talking about the Lord's return for who knows how long, but don't you ever have a day where you start to wonder, it's like, is it ever going to happen? I mean, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Doubt can arise. Jesus answered and said to them, go and show John again those things which ye hear and see. Go testify to him again. I think we all need to be refreshed once in a while. Have our faith stirred and our confidence rebuilt. Jesus in John chapter six talked about those who saw him and his works, but he said, yet you still do not believe. Don't fool yourself into thinking if God would just talk to you some other way, if he'd just do some extraordinary thing that all of a sudden you'd believe. If you won't believe what he wrote, if you won't believe what he wrote, that's what he told the rich man in hell, right? Oh, but surely if one went from the dead. Nope, not according to the Lord. I know that's hard to fathom sometimes, but it's true. Then when Jesus was talking to Thomas, He said, Thomas, you saw, you wanted to, you wanted to touch me and feel me and you did. And now you believe. But he said, blessed are those who believe having not seen, having not seen. What does he say to tell him? Verse five, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. This is from Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus is saying, I'm fulfilling these prophecies. Tell John the things that you think John didn't know Isaiah 61. I bet he did. (laughs) Jesus is saying, just go, go remind him. Tell him again the things you've all seen and heard that I'm fulfilling that prophecy. And I love he says, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. You know, the poor are often forgotten in many cultures. And you're probably like me this morning If you're born and raised and all you've really known is America, you probably don't have a very good sense of what it's like to be poor for most people in most places throughout most of history. This meant something to them that it probably doesn't mean to the most of us. A poor person here can find any number of places that'll give them food if they want it. They can walk into any hospital in Lexington into the emergency room and get care from the finest medical facilities in the world for free. 
The poor in most of the world do not get that. I'm just saying, get your, your mind around what this probably meant to these people. Why would he even include that? That doesn't sound miraculous to us. Doesn't the gospel go to everyone? But he made it a point of saying it. In fact, that was part of the prophecy of his coming. He's going to give good news to the poor. And the people are like, wow, that's, that's shocking to us. Verse six, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. I don't know why, but he does cause offense. Isaiah eight calls him a rock of offense. Jesus is offensive to many. And he did say in Matthew chapter 10, he said, I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother. Said a man's enemy shall be they of his own household. Blessed is he who's not offended in me. That's a tough saying. That's tough to take. As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? Is that what, is that what you went to see when you went to see John the Baptist? Some guy who's just blown about, he's just preaching whatever the fancy of the day doctrinally is? Ephesians 4 tells us about being steadied in our mind that we be not blown about with every wind of doctrine. Well, you better get established in the word or you will be blown about with every wind of doctrine. Like a ship without a rudder, you just go wherever the wind takes you. But what will ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Jesus says, is that, is that what you expected from this man, John the Baptist? No doubt some people were just curious. Looky-loos, drive-byers, whatever you want to call them. John was, he was well-known. He was famous, if not infamous anyway. And people came out to see him. And Jesus isn't asking this about John. He's questioning, he's probing the hearts of the people that he's talking to. He said, what is it that you expected to see when you went out and heard John? Some guy ray, arrayed in royal apparel fancy clothing. Jesus said, no, that's for soft people. People live in king's houses, people that are rich. It's often associated with that effeminate natures of the time. No, he said, John the Baptist was stamped from coarser stuff. He was rough probably, but he was hardy in character, hardy in virtue. He was suited to the task. He was qualified, you might say, as the forerunner of Jesus Christ as the herald of the kingdom. But what will ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. Other prophets talked about the Messiah coming. John said, he's here. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John himself was a subject of prophecy. John confessed his Lord, and now his Lord was confessing didn't Jesus talk about that as well? So you deny me, I'll deny you. John didn't deny him. And Jesus didn't deny John. Questions are intended to not just bring into focus the greatness of John, but to search the hearts of the hearers. Remember in John chapter 12, when some of the, the Greeks came and were looking at what the apostles were doing, and they said, we would see Jesus. And that's what John was trying to get people to do. To see Jesus. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Isaiah chapter 40. Also Malachi chapter 3. 
Jesus is saying, John is that man. You know these prophecies in the Old Testament. That's John. This is he. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now you can imagine the Jews in the audience saying, you mean greater than Moses? Greater than Elijah? What do you mean he's the greatest? Well, Luke chapter 7 gives us the, the parallel passage to this, and I think it's putting in light that John as a prophet more so than just John as a human being. Amongst the prophets, there's none greater than John. It's the greatness of his message that the king is here now. I think also you could make reference to the fact that it's an odd phrase of them born amongst women. I mean, isn't that everybody? (laughs) But I think it's a reference to the fact that that's only the first or physical birth. Amongst them who are only born of women... He's the greatest. But those who are in the kingdom, those who have had another birth, even the least amongst them, are better at least in station than John the Baptist, who did not know the the new birth. That hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't died. He hasn't resurrected. So to them that only know the old birth, even the greatest among them is missing something that even the least of those amongst us that have that are greater. Second birth, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. John ushered in a kingdom, and that kingdom suffered violence, was suffering violence. It was met with violent reception. You remember uh, when Herod, Herod the Great, first heard about this possible new king coming on the scene. What was his reaction? How about we just murder all of the males two years and under? Say, well, you know, king, we don't need, that's that's too long. Well, you know, it's good for extra measure. Let's just kill all of them two years and down. I'd say that's being met with a violent reception. Then I think it's his son, the next Herod. Herod, of course, is a, a title, not a name. He's preached to by John the Baptist, who says, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, Herod is, in some fashion anyway, a king, if you will. And here comes John the Baptist, audaciously claiming, you know, what do you, how do you think it goes for you when you tell the king he's breaking the law? The king's going to be like, well, I am the law, Right? But John comes claiming there's a higher authority. There's another law and you're in violation of it. You're you're wrong. And of course, that gets him thrown in prison and ultimately beheaded. Jesus comes preaching in Nazareth. They don't like his preaching. They try to throw him off a cliff, but he escapes from among them. Another time, they take up stones to throw at him and kill him. They're not talking about just throwing pebbles. Hey, please get out of here. No, they took up rocks to throw at someone until they beat them to a bloody pulp and they died. That's what they wanted. That's this kingdom being ushered in. That's how it's being received. It's suffering violence. Now, the second phrase is maybe the more difficult of the two. He says, and the violent take it by force. Now, maybe that's just a continuation of the first statement. Look, there's this violence going on and violent people are taking it. They're forcing or muscling their way into the kingdom. 
or maybe, and this is the way I tend to lean, is that this second half of the verse is talking about those who are in favor of the kingdom or favorable towards it and are fighting because it now takes violence to enter into it. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Does that sound like a walk in the park to any of you? The gates. Now, the gates aren't marching. Like the gates are going to come at you and don't worry, they won't prevail. No, you attack gates. He says the gates that hell puts up won't stop you. Jesus said in Luke 13, strive to enter in at the straight gate. See, there's a, a wide, easy path that's narrow and crooked that's easy to just flow into. But Jesus said you have to strive to enter at the narrow gate, the right gate. In Luke 16, he says the parallel passage again to this, that since the days of John, the kingdom of God, he says, has been preached and every man presseth into it. Again, some work involved. What he calls here in Matthew, violence. If you can just imagine in your mind that there's two kingdoms at war and God's kingdom is suffering violence and those who would enter into it, those who would take part of it, those who would be in God's kingdom now are forced to act violently to become part of it. What makes such a fight? Well, the world, the flesh, the devil, those don't just affect Christians though that's how the context we usually think of them in. When one has to consider whether or not the kingdom is for them, so to speak, whether or not they want Jesus, those factors still come into play. What keeps you from Christ? Family? Friends? Hey, some people don't want to give up their friendships, no matter what. Some people can't go against their family. It's just too much an ask. What about worldly ambitions? I don't mean sinful ambitions. I just mean whatever it is you want to do that you think you might have to give up and you're not willing to. What about pride? Tell you what, pride is the undoing of pretty much all of us at some point until we come to Christ. And if you're going to do battle with your own pride, if that's what's going to keep you from God, you better be ready to do violence against it because it's a real fight. It's a very real fight with very real consequences. Jesus said in Luke 9, he said unto them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Does that sound like a walk in the park? Hey, it's just a bed of roses. Take up your cross. Cross is an instrument of death. Die to self. If any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, Yea, in his own life also. That's the meat of it there, isn't it? He cannot be my disciple. Say, <laughs> so what does it take? What is, what is the cost? Well, it only costs everything. It's just everything. So I don't, I don't understand. I mean, how much is that? Well, imagine someone coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, what, what will it require of me? And Jesus says, well, it'll take everything you have. And he says, well... You know, I've got I don't know, like $150 on me. He says, okay, I'll take that. That's not all you have? Well, I mean, I've got some money in the bank, you know, some, some lucky savings set aside. I want to be able to 
be comfortable when I retire. The Lord says, yeah, that's mine too. He says, well, Lord, I mean, if I have that, I, I guess I better just go home and rethink things. Oh, you have, you have a house? Oh, 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 that's mine also. Lord, you want me to live in my camper? Oh, you have a camper. Yeah, I'll take that as well. <sighs> guess I'll just have to sleep in my car then. Oh, car? Yep, yep, that car is mine. Oh, you have two cars. Yep, both mine. Lord, you expect me and my family to live in the street? Oh, oh, you have a wife and children, do you? Yeah, yeah, those are mine also. Lord, I mean, all I have left is myself. And Jesus said, yep, that's mine. Now, anyone can pay the price. It only costs everything. Now, in practice, at least it seems that Jesus generally is looking to know that you're willing to give up those things. And he generally turns around and says, all right, now you keep them all. You be a good steward and use them for me in service to your Lord and to his kingdom. It only costs everything. We're not talking about adding works to salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is not difficult in the way that digging a ditch is difficult. It's like if you'll put in enough work, you can attain it. But salvation is difficult in the way that maybe getting up in front of a group of your peers and friends and admitting that you are wrong. It's difficult that way. It's difficult in the way that you have to violently attack your own pride and ambition and say, God, I'm wrong. You're right. That's another way of describing repentance. And Lord, I receive the gift that you offer that I could never earn on my own. But now we see that he is the Lord of a kingdom that he has ushered in and he's given us the opportunity to be a part of it. And it's at odds with this world's kingdom. We're like on a subversive mission down here. You understand that? I was just in my Bible reading this past week in in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 15, where the Bible says that uh, God took the kingdom from Saul But if you know anything about that story, the kingdom doesn't just flip-flop right then, does it? Oh, okay, Saul's out, David's on the throne. That is not how it happens. There is time and violence that takes place between when God says this is how the kingdom's going to work and when it actually comes into being. Right? You want a a more up-to-date story? You go back to the 1990s. Some of you remember, you know, Operation... uh, Uh, the Gulf War, and we ousted Saddam Hussein. Well, effectively, once America decided this is what should happen and is going to happen, the military starts moving in, it's kind of already done. You've been deposed of your power, but he didn't just say, oh, okay, well, hang up his hat and leave the country. He put up a fight, and it took a while, and it took some bloodshed before the actuality of what was going to happen took place. And there is a new king who has laid claim to what is his. It was lost in Adam, 
And we get from Matthew 4 and Luke 4, apparently Satan owned it because when he tempted Jesus, he said, Jesus, you bow to me, I'll give you these kingdoms. That wouldn't have been a temptation if it wasn't A, something Jesus wanted, and B, something Satan could actually offer. And now Jesus says, I've bought them. It's my kingdom. I've putting my people into place, but the frustrating part is we want victory now. Why isn't Jesus sitting on the throne, casting arrows at this people like we want to do, but he has his own time frame and his own plan. Jesus said, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's how the kingdom looks in the meantime. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. Isaac Watts wrote a song. The words go like this. Am I a soldier of the cross? a follower of the lamb? Shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others thought, fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? And then the stanzas that you don't normally find in the hymn book Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. When that illustrious day shall rise and all thy army shine in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. If you're here today without Christ, he offers you salvation, free and clear, paid by him but you may have to do some violence with your own pride to take it. And believer, we're part of the kingdom. We don't often talk about it in those words, I think, and maybe we, it sort of sets us up for some misaligned thinking. But there is another king. We focus politically about what goes on around us, sort of the kings of this world so often. I think sometimes we forget as his children, there is another king and another kingdom of which we are part of and we are at war with the kingdoms of this world. But of course, we have to operate in accordance with the word, the instructions that our Lord has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day. Lord, thank you for new life. Thank you for salvation in Christ. And Lord, I thank you for your people here today, their kind attention. Lord, I love your word, and I want others to love it too. And I love you. And I want others to love you too. Lord, you're so good to us. I pray that you'd have your way as we close out this service now as pastor comes. In Jesus' name.